Welcome to the latest edition of Hogtown Hangs, a podcast from the Hogtown Brass Quintet. I'm your host, Jay Austin, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Tristan Tai. Today we're talking with oboist Ron Cohen-Mann. Today we'll be talking with Ron about his well-crafted social media presence, the experience of having an emergency appendectomy during a pandemic, being named one of CBC's 30 hot Canadian classical musicians under 30, and his brand new five-week course on social media marketing for classical musicians. Ron Cohen-Mann is a frequent recitalist, new music proponent, orchestral musician and teacher based in Toronto, Ontario. He was recently named on CBC's 30 Hot Canadian Classical Musicians Under 30. Inspired by the variety of sounds and colors of the oboe, Ron is passionate about advancing the instrument as a solo voice in recitals and chamber music. His solo debut at Carnegie Hall was with harpist Noel Wand as featured artists in the Yale in New York series. Feeling equally at home within the orchestra, Ron cherishes performing with ensembles in Canada and abroad. He has appeared with the National Arts Centre Orchestra, the National Ballet of Canada Orchestra, Hamilton Philharmonic Orchestra, and the Symphony Orchestras of Kingston, Kitchener-Waterloo, Niagara, and Windsor. His festival appearances include the National Repertory Orchestra, L'Orchestre de la Francophonie, the National Academy Orchestra, and the National Youth Orchestra of Canada. Outside of North America, he has toured to India, China, Russia, Estonia, Latvia, and Portugal. I'm pleased at this time to welcome Ron Cohen-Mann. Hi, Ron. Hello. How are you doing today? Doing so great. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're so happy to have you here. Uh, so, Ron, outside of being a fabulous oboist, you have a notable presence online. You and I have talked off, Mike, about your unique content for YouTube and Instagram, but could you talk about why that's an important part about being an entertainer and an artist in 2020? Well, I think a big part of it is that we don't have the same opportunities to perform live in front of people in person. And so this gives us a voice to perform and reach an audience, which we normally wouldn't. And it's been a really great process reaching so many people internationally that I would never have played for in person. And additionally, I think that a big part of it is teaching and being able to work with so many students from so many different places and like hear where they are and help them achieve their goals. And I think a lot of places too, there aren't that many oboe teachers. And so a lot of people, um, now that they know that they can learn online and they manage to do a few semesters of school online, why not take music lessons online as well? Absolutely. Do you think that the distinction between artist and entertainer is important to convey through social media? Um, that's a good question. I think that we're sort of both all the time. Like we want to dedicate ourselves to our craft and to our art, but at the same time, we want to reach people and also entertain them during this time that's so difficult for so many. Yeah, I know in the, over the course of the last six months, we've really tried to lean on great stories, whether it's current stories from, from the five of us in the band or, you know, old, old videos looking back at, at some of our best performances or our most memorable performances. And it's been really interesting trying just to, like, we, we kind of have made a pivot to try to just entertain, keep it light, keep it fun. But it's, it's definitely something that we've, we've given some thought to. This episode of Hogtown Hangs is brought to you by Arts on Demand. Arts on Demand offers a wide range of fully customizable administrative services for artists and arts organizations. Tailored to fit your needs, we can assist you in single project support, 
ongoing administration services, or anything in between. Find us at artsondemand.ca or email us at info at artsondemand.ca. Back in August, you were named to CBC's 30 Hot Canadian Classical Musicians Under 30. Can you talk a bit about that process, how it came about, and how the last month has been since the announcement? Yeah, um, I was so honored, and I am so honored to be included on the list. Uh, It's been something that's been coming out for the last few years, and, um, you know, I've been watching that list, and, um, yeah, seeing a lot of my colleagues on it, and obviously I'm always, like, so proud to see my friends on it, and, um, yeah, so it kind of happened for me. I was reached out to by uh, Robert Rowett, who is the journalist who's involved uh, with creating the list. Mm -hmm. Um, He reached out to me in May and I know that he had seen a few of my uh, videos that I had posted and he wanted to include one of my um, collaborative uh, videos on one of his lists of like top collab videos, but it was, I shot it, vertically instead of horizontally, so it didn't work for the CBC uh, article. So um, he's like, let me know if you do another one. Then I sent him another one in the future. And then, um, yeah, and like about a month later, he sent me another message that was like, oh, hey, like, I would like to include you on this year's list. Are you under 30? And I was like, yes, but not for long. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I was... uh, really grateful and he we did a little interview he asked a lot a lot of questions and uh it was really interesting what ended up making it in print and what didn't uh I think I count that they said that I was like gay like three different times so like the Britney Spears CD and then that I have a husband and I like trying to anyway it was like and then that I was compared to Jonathan Van Ness so like all the you know just in case someone missed it in one of the like that I have a husband but um yeah, and like, you know, some of the questions were silly and lighthearted and some of them were like more serious and like the challenges that you deal with and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, and I had to send them a, a photo and then just keep it a secret for a few months. Well, I think I was number 31, but when they found out that I was almost 40, it was a bit of a deal breaker. Oh, I'm sorry to hear, Jay. Oh, it'll happen. <laughs> Has anything been any different since that announcement have, have you been getting any additional attention from contractors or from uh recording artists anything of that sort um yes but at this moment i cannot uh reveal Sorry, stay, so. tuned. Stay, stay tuned okay, stay I like tuned that. for more yeah a little bit of mystery behind that yeah so ron <laughs> uh, i'd like to pivot and ask you a couple of non-musical questions we usually like to lighten things up uh, at the midway point here lovely um I'd like to get your your feedback on what I think is probably the, one of the more surreal experiences that anyone could have. Flying across the country to have an emergency appendectomy during a global pandemic. Oh my God. I, I mean, I don't, we don't need like nitty gritty on the surgery, but the, you, that, that happened, what, it was like two months ago that that happened or so? Um, at the very end of May. Very so, end of May. Yeah. Uh, so right in the, in the peak of... Yeah, so I didn't, I, I flew after the surgery, just to oh, okay. clarify that. But I was flying, basically, at that point, I was not able to lift anything over 15 pounds. So even just like carrying my oboe, like my double oboe English horn case, like I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So it was uh, quite a bit of a challenge. Um, 
Yeah, obviously no one wants to get their appendix out, but when when it comes knocking, it, it's got to go. So <laughs> that's kind of what had to happen. And then, what, what was it like flying at that time? I mean, it's a little bit different now, but um, it, it's, this seems like one of the more memorable, but for the wrong reasons, kind of experiences, right? Yeah, I mean, it was basically fine. Like they had only one person per row at that point but of course there's someone sitting directly behind you and directly in front of you so it doesn't give you that much of a sense of safety and comfort and actually the person behind me completely had her mask off even though it was like mandatory to keep it on throughout the flight Mm. so I turned around and asked her if she would put it on she did but just you know uh it was a little uncomfortable but I think you know it could have been worse and I was glad to, uh, after that, be home in Vancouver and have my parents take care of me. Sure. Now, secondly, and perhaps the most important question of this whole interview, um, Tristan and I are recent converts to uh, just becoming mega fans of RuPaul's Drag Race. Slay work. <laughs> you... So what I'd like to ask you at first. Um, <laughs> who are your favorite queens of all time? Uh, on the show, off the show, any uh, floor is yours. Wow, I this is the hardest question yet. Um, there are so many queens that I admire a lot. Uh, someone whom I know personally and like a lot is Miss Cracker. Uh, I used to go to her show every week, like in New York. She used to perform. Like I actually went to her show the very first night that I moved to New York. Uh, She was performing at this little tiny dive bar on the Upper West Side, uh, close to where my apartment was. And I used to, yeah, see her all the time and talk to her. And she gave me like makeup tips and all that stuff. And uh, yeah, she's just like a really sweet person. She's really, really short and like extremely, like a very small person. Like it's, uh, you don't get that from the TV, but it's like, you see her in person. She's like very, very petite. Hmm. Um, Yeah. And uh I really, really admire uh, Trixie Mattel. I think that she is a branding genius. Like a lot of like my marketing inspiration I take from her. Like she just knows what to do and like how to frame everything. And she is a like total perfectionist. Like Hmm. it was really interesting. I met her last year uh, and I was like working with her for like one of her shows in Toronto and even like right before the meet and greet she's like talks to the the photographer she's like come here like i want to see what it looks like like zoom in on my makeup i want to see what it looks like under these lights like and then like she would have to like look at it be like no do this and like take Mm -hmm. it again like until she approved it i was like wow like even for the quality of the photos of her meet and greet, she's like involved in that process and like wants to see her brand be like consistent even through something. She does like have that. very unique makeup, like very yes, hard very, lines and, and yeah. 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 Now, Tristan, you're only a couple of seasons in, but like let's talk about your favorites. Yeah, I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a recent convert, but like I've gone all in. We I've we just finished the second season last week. Um so I haven't quite gotten into the, you know, you guys know quite a cast of characters at this point, but uh, I have to say that Raven from like, I hated Raven at the beginning. And then I just decided that she was actually the most experienced and the most mature and should have won that season. And I was a little upset when she didn't. 
Uh, followed closely by Jujubee, who's just one of my favorite bubbly personalities I've ever seen on television. Yeah, she's great. Yeah. Personally, I think yeah. Tristan Tristan reminds me a lot of Ben de la Creme, but he hasn't quite got there yet. So, haven't figured out if that's an insult yet, but I'm gonna find out. Apparently, it's not, but we'll find out soon. <laughs> personally, hey, who's your favorite then? Personally, I have I have a theory. Um, I think that seasons one and two were the most impressive of all of the seasons um, because they really they worked their way through all of the challenges. And then once you hit season three and on, it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. Nothing gets me more fired up, though, when someone shows up and says that they can't sew. <laughs> I mean, at this point, if you're showing up and you can't sew, what are you, what are you even doing there? But I gotta, yeah. I, I've got a soft spot for Latrice Royale. I really do. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. I do think I, I empathize a bit with the queens who don't sew. And let us not forget that Ben de la Creme does not sew. She hot glues right and so you can construct a beautiful outfit with hot glue but i think that um like you know they only get like two weeks to prepare after the point that they're cast so like it's not like in that two weeks while you're like scrambling to like make sure you have enough makeup and wigs and outfits to like last you through 14 episodes like that you have time to like pick up a new skill like sewing and it does seem like infamously even queens who can sew deal with like problematic sewing machines on set. Like I'm pretty sure that they like mess up those machines for the drama. Like I would not surprise me. Yeah. I think the producers have their fingers in a lot of uh, pots. I, I think I, I've said to my wife that people that show up on the show that say that they don't know how to sew are like brass players that show up to gigs without their mouthpieces. Like Ooh, when hot take, hot take. Okay, maybe maybe they're straight mutes. Ah, there we go. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get this back on the rails here. <laughs> All right, now moving on from the fabulous drag race back into serious, serious classical music discussions. Uh, Ron, you recently announced that you're running a five week course on social media marketing for classical musicians. Can you give us a little bit of an insight as to where you came up with this idea and how did you arrive at the decision to make it pay what you want? Yeah, that's a, it just seemed like something that was really necessary. I, you know, saw what an impact it made on my life and my livelihood. And mostly the bottom line is teaching, right? You want to be able to reach more students and there's a finite number of students who are in your area. And so you can branch out and reach all these students who are in all these different places. And so how do you do that? And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out exactly how to do what I'm doing now. And like, I would say at the start of the pandemic, I was spending like close to 20 hours a week on Instagram. Like just had nothing better to do. All my gigs were canceled. And during that time, I was looking at like the people that I would consider oboe influencers and kind of seeing like, what did they do? What was their first post that like made it big? Like going through and like reverse engineering what they did, like what hashtags they used, all these kind of things. And I do have like training as a photographer and I did like take a business course as well, like while I was at Yale. So like I had like some ideas of like how I could move this in a way that would be like useful for me. And then I kind of decided that I should share these skill sets with my fellow musicians, like now that I feel like pretty established in it. Um, 
I just feel like a lot of people can benefit from and are kind of like stuck not knowing where to start. And so I came up with like a five session, like very like structured and in-depth foundation of like how to brand yourself and how to post and use hashtags and like finding a posting schedule that's like consistent and works with your followers and also like creating a content creation schedule that's actually sustainable all these things that are really critical and not usually something that people think of right away and it's just like a lot to think about when you're trying to start this so yeah right now we have seven people who um, are signed up and I think there's space for about three more and uh, we're starting next week so I'm pretty excited about that and we'll see how the pilot goes and hopefully there'll be another session in the future so that Ron, sounds, oh, sorry, ahead. sorry to cut you off there, Tristan. Um, what a lot of people don't know is I work in marketing as, as a day job. And, uh, and so I'm just curious from a, from a data perspective to get super nerdy on you for a second. Are you, how are you keeping track of things? Is it, do, do registrations filter right into a system or are you just keeping track of things in spreadsheets? What's your. Yeah, I have a Google sheet. Yeah. So I have a Google form that auto populates a Google sheet. The, the small bit of, of, of advice I would offer to anyone looking to do what you're doing, because you're doing it so well. First off, go follow Ron on every platform. Uh, about four months ago, I reached out to Ron and I just said, you're killing it. You're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and, it, and it's hitting and engagement is high and it's, it's really great. And that's the hardest part about what we, trying to, to market for classical music, but also just trying to market in general is getting getting people to engage with you but then at the same time having a system to follow up on your on your people on people that are interested on people that engage with you all the time is is actually the action item that comes out of what you're doing and absolutely and it's so hard to do well but it's actually really easy to get the data right the hard part is is crafting the message after the fact um this is something that um i happen to be very passionate about <laughs> but it's uh it's not it's not as native to a lot of the things as we think it is. So I, th I, I would love to have you come back if you'd be willing to, not to put you on the spot after you finished your first run of this course and, and see, see what kind of, um, you know, what kind of lessons you've learned, what you do differently a second time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like very, very excited. I told everyone to take a screenshot of what their profile looks like now and, you know, what it's going to look like in five weeks. I'm really excited to see like not only the growth in their aesthetic and also their followers and their engagement too. I think that we're going to see a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting things happen. And of course it's a pilot. So things are going to be funky. There's going to be internet problems probably, you know, <laughs> um, and we'll just deal with them as they come. Um, I'm really excited about everyone who's reached out to me. They all seem like very passionate and like excited about, the possibilities and opportunities mm -hmm. that come out of social media. So yeah. One of the I, first I think that's from... a, a big area that a lot of, and I'm sure you'll address some of the, a lot of this with those people is something that classical musicians and like the arts in general have struggled with, I think is, is realizing that they are entertainers and they are businesses and their social media kind of has to act in that way. You can still present mm -hmm. your art, but I find that there's sort of a, we've Jay and I have talked about this before. There's like a system of deposits and withdrawals with your, your social media accounts. And if you're just always asking people to buy and click and consume and you're 
not giving them anything in return or you're not engaging on a deeper level and it, it kind of just gets lost in yeah in there the has to be added ocean. value to everything that you put out there yeah so at this point ron i'd like to give you the floor uh it's all yours where can people find you uh is there anything you'd like to promote obviously you've got your course but feel free uh the, the floor is yours cool thanks uh yeah just um come follow me on instagram at oberon and on youtube where i'm like that's kind of one of my big areas of focus right now i'm putting out like kind of entertaining either tutorials or like this week's video is going to be me reacting to my first ever concerto performance uh, from when i was 16 and listening back to that and like i had i had like a very small memory slip and i'm like all right like i'm gonna <laughs> i heard that and saw it <laughs> and went through it i think i was as nervous re-listening to it in front of a camera as I was when I performed it like 13 <laughs> years ago. Um, yeah. And uh, in case you're interested in fashion forward, double read merchandise, you can also find that at mysterycane.com. Ooh, spiffy. Love it. Thanks so much, Ron, for joining us on Hogtown Hangs. Thanks so much for having me. And once again, I'd like to thank our sponsor for the month of September, Arts on Demand, customizable administrative services for artists and arts organizations. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Hogtown Hangs with Jay and Tristan. If you've enjoyed this show and would like to know more, please check out hogtownbrass.com and leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you find your podcasts. Cheers. Cheers.